Hello everyone, welcome to a very tired and in pain edition of In Our 1990s, uh, the podcast where your two hosts are ranking every alternative album of the 90s and hopefully doing so without throwing our backs out. Um, I'm your host Natalie and as always I'm joined by over here to my right, Hadrian. How are you doing Hadrian? I'm pretty good, probably better than you. Probably so, you didn't spend... Oh, not so bad. You didn't spend all day putting a garbage disposal in. No, thought about it. Yeah, well, you had to help a little bit at the, on the last step. When your wife step. puts in a garbage disposal the other day. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you lost me there. And we also have our dog with us, because he had surgery today, and he's stoned and wobbling around, so we just brought him in, in here to the recording studio with us. And that's making the cats unhappy, so you'll probably hear all of our pets on this episode. Huzzah. So I, I think that we might find pets more pleasing to listen to than at least one of these albums each. Different album for each of us. I mean, I know you're off podcast opinions about that. The one of one of these albums. No, so. no, I'm 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 exaggerating a little bit. So our albums this week are Primitive Radio Gods uh nineteen ninety six album, Rocket. And Hole's 1991 debut album, Pretty on the Inside. And we're going to start off with Rocket. Yeah, so this was a whole fucking thing. That's Hole with W-H this time, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's a whole fucking thing. So, I think what people need to know, anyone who existed in the 90s and had ears heard... The song, let me get to the track listing, <laughs> standing outside a broken phone booth with money in my hand. Yes. And you will know, I've been down hearted, baby, every single day. Like that, that line is what you will fucking have in your head for the rest of this po- goddamn podcast. That song is by far the only song from Primitive Radio Gods anyone knows. They aren't technically a one-hit wonder, but they might as well should be. I think they are technically a one-hit wonder, aren't they? Well, I mean, their other albums sold okay. Well, yeah, but that's, I mean, they didn't a have A lot of one-hit wonders that, don't have a second album. Well, yeah, but the, they the, did and, not have a second hit song. And to be fair, Primitive Raider Gods probably shouldn't have had a first fucking album. <laughs> so this album was released in 1996 officially, but was recorded in 1991. And boy, does it ever show. It does. For about five years, the the lead singer... What is his... Chris O'Connor. Yes, Chris O'Connor basically spent the five years trying to salvage his music career. He's a Southern California musician who kind of... It seemed like he felt like he should have been more appreciated in music than he was... Obviously, I don't know him, I don't know his personality, but this album sounds like someone who's like, I am writing a very poignant album for the times, I am commenting on very important issues, and people should love my music. And nobody fucking did. Okay, well, there's one person who did, and that is um, the record executive, uh, Jonathan Daniel who is solely responsible for their career and who has a weird amount of passion for this band because he got them signed to their first deal 
after hearing there, uh, did, did you mention that this was recorded in 1991 and released in 1996? Yes, that's, that's, that's literally what I started with. Okay, good. I, I thought so. Um, so weird amount of passion for this five-year-old album that is extremely out of date by 1996. Because it, it just sounds like, like cover riffs off of any 80s band. But then this, this, so this band, they kept, they had really bad luck with their labels. They kept sort of landing in mergers and getting their releases canceled and and this this executive he just kept getting them like calling in favors to get them signed to other deals and it was just like maybe he just really liked them as people or something but i don't get having the, this much passion for this music at all yeah it's i mean i so i'm gonna i'm gonna just definitively say i don't think it's a terrible album i don't think it is a memorable album but i think if if standing outside a phone a broken phone with money in your hand hits you in a certain way you will fucking fight for it and i think that's kind of what happened to that guy i think he heard uh women i think he heard motherfucker and i think he heard standing with uh, outside of broken phone booth with money in my hand and those three songs are arguably the best songs on the album and also would make you go yeah I think this guy has some talent. I think these, I think Primitive Radio Gods. So the more hilarious thing is that they weren't originally called Primitive Radio Gods. I don't remember what their original name was. But when he was, when uh, O'Connor was shopping this around, he misspelled Primitive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think iRails was the original name, mm-hmm. which is much worse. Yes. Yeah, so much worse. Primitive Radio Gods sounds like a band. It sounds like a, like president, presidents of the United States level, like that's a band. <laughs> But not the same kind of band. Primitive Radio God sounds exactly like this band. I, I think it's the perfect name for this band because I had completely forgotten them. I remembered Phone Booth. It, okay, I, I don't. Once I, I remembered the title, mm-hmm. I did not have any memories of that song or this band whatsoever, which I think says a lot about our ultimate feeling, what our ultimate feelings on them are going to be. Uh- but. Uh, but Whenever you said, let's do the print this Primitive Radio Gods album for the next show, I was like, oh, I haven't heard them before. But I mean, I don't I didn't say this out loud, but in my head, I was like, I haven't heard them before, but I know exactly what they'll sound like. And and I was right. They Maybe it's slightly more rocky than I would have expected, but I thought of early 90s sampler rock. Yeah. So the strength of this album, I feel, is that it is just background noise of the 90s and it just sounds like everything you cut aside to in sabrina or the friends or anything like that yeah and phone booth uh was on the cable guy soundtrack mm-hmm. so. and that was why it, which is why it was popular i just remember my mom bought this album and it just came out of left field because like i listened to a lot of music with my mom because i was an only child living in large cities moving around all the time so whatever my mom purchased or listened on the radio, I was probably adjacent. And I liked that song. I don't remember I didn't remember anything else about this album. Just that 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 sound of a turntable starting at the beginning of a phone booth, which is one of my favorite sounds in the world. That click before a needle drops. It's mm-hmm. just like just uh, I love that sound. And I think that's probably why it was ingrained in my head so much, because like that's a very positive sound to me. So I don't think this guy's lyrics are the fucking worst. I mean... They are not great. 
But he... The problem with Primitive Radio Gods is that he is so passionate about some mediocre shit. And there is a glaring, glaring asterisk on this entire album, which we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> but it, it, it follows through to every every single one of these songs. It all feels like he was taking from certain 80s musicians and filtering it through a 90s... I don't even know what to describe it. I mean, just, it's very Mad Chester. He, you can tell he was into the farm and happy Mondays <laughs> and EMF in, in around the time he was making this. And the thing is like, I have some affection for that period in music, but I mean, I have a lot of affection for that period. I, I have some affection for like the, the height of Mad Chester, the, the samplers and Rolling Stones riffs, you know, that, that sort of defines Manchester. But that did not age. Yeah. A, a year after this was written, grunge destroyed everything. <laughs> like it reset music, basically. Which is a little a little sad because I think there there is room for just... I would describe this album as airy in a way. It's like it's, nothing's really permanent. Everything is sort of like in transition. He samples a lot, which was highly criticized at the time because the samples are very sharp but we know how we feel about samples on this show yeah i don't think they're that bad in this i i think that like it's just like especially well phone booth it's the best see i think phone booth is the worst use of sample well okay it's not the worst use of samples on the album it's the one that annoyed me the most i don't mind it i don't i don't mind it because i just i think that song just is so ingrained in my memory uh, but uh, there's one further down the album. What is that one? Chain Reaction? Yes, that one, one is fucking trash. Samples. Yeah, I think that's the worst use of samples on the album. I think it's... I actually liked that song more than Phone Booth. Like, I don't think Phone Booth is that great. I I think... With the caveat, I don't think anything on this album is that great. All right, so but, so should we get into the, the, pitch, the pitchfork thing? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's as good a, good a time as any... Okay, so speaking of that song not being that great, so Ryan Schreiber of, of Pitchfork wrote this, and I will read this quote in its entirety. At any rate, you don't want Rocket in your record collection now or ever since the music sounds like a third-rate decaffeinated version of Ned's Atomic Dustbin, and because by reading Pitchfork, you've already proven that you have better taste than, than that, I hope. Okay, so A, it sounds nothing like Ned's Atomic Dustbin. That motherfucker doesn't know what Ned's Atomic Dustbin sounds like. Exactly. Continuing, Schreiber gave it an extremely negative rating of 1.2 out of 10, falling under awful, not a single pleasant track. However, Schreiber wrote that Phone Booth, as a single, is going to sell like the Rubik's Cube. But that, as an album, let's face it, three minutes is enough for even the most mind-numbed, tasteless societal outcast. That's a little rough. Yeah. This album's not great, but like, it's not offensive. Yeah. Uh, that's outside of one very clear. <laughs> outside of one, one word that should not have been used. Yes. It is a completely inoffensive album. Um, uh, so 
this will come up repeatedly because we're doing a music podcast in 2020. I fucking hate Pitchfork. I think Pitchfork is very <laughs> destructive toward music. It's true. This, I, I, mean, I think that there is an... It, it's not quite as bad as it was like five years ago, but there was... A, oh, a 10 fucking, years ago was the fucking worst. 10 years ago, there was a fucking epidemic of people writing albums to get good reviews on Pitchfork, and it... it ruined music for a, a while for me like i like i just could not listen to certain albums without being like oh this is their like pitchfork gave our last album a bad review so we have to write this one for pitchfork like yeah, I, I hate pitchfork they're boring and wrong most of the time and pretentious and obnoxious and i can't stand them so and for clarity uh 10 to 12 years ago, uh, Natalie and I were both writing reviews for albums from a music station, uh, a radio station. So we were getting these new releases and we're going like, everything fucking sounds like a fucking pitchfork trap. Yeah. And so that's that's what happened. It was all bad. It was very it was a very bad time. And as you can tell, him referencing Ned's Atomic Dustbin because he doesn't know enough to be like, this sounds like third rate decaffeinated Happy Mondays is a fucking issue. Yeah, and I feel that there are other bands involved in this. So the song, uh, oh god, what is that fucking song? <laughs> Where the monkey meets the man. The, all these song titles are fucking terrible and too long, except for the one that's really bad. Yeah, man, just wait till we get to some Stereo Lab albums. <laughs> well, that's different. This this yeah, album they're a great band. <laughs> this album doesn't deserve these titles. Like standing outside a broken phone booth with money in my hand does not describe anything on that fucking song. No, and I, that does feel like a stunt title to me. It like, is a stunt title. Anyway, uh, where the monkey meets the man, there is a riff in this that is stolen directly from "She Drives Me Crazy" by the Fine Young Cannibals, and it drives me at the fucking wall. It drives you crazy. Oh, oh! <laughs> can, can you help yourself? No one <laughs> else. Oh, sorry. Um. But yeah, it's just there's a lot of a lot of eighties because this album was in nineteen from nineteen ninety one. Yeah, he was taking a lot of inspiration from popular music that he was listening to, and that sort of like filled. I don't think it was deliberate. I don't think that song was like deliberately trying to be the Fine Young Cannibals because who wants to do that? <laughs> but it, it it was ingrained, I think, and that's just follows through with a lot of this this album. It's it's disparate. It follows through with his vocal style, which sounds like generic eighties soundtrack rock vocals. It does, but which is so. My favorite songs on the album are "Women," "Motherfucker," and "Standing" and and "Phone Booth." I can't believe you like "Motherfucker." I like so "Motherfucker." Bad. That song is terrible, but I, when it finally like hits its crescendo, you're like, "Yeah, this song's kind of a fucking jam." It, no, and I was listening. I, I was. Listening, I wasn't like that. <laughs> I was listening to this a lot when I was driving because I like I like to drive around and listen to music. Yeah. And that song hit when I was driving, and I was like, "Okay, yeah, oh yeah, no, this is good." And so that's a driving song, and I do that because when I was a kid, most of the time, I would be in the car listening to the radio with my parents. So it'd be driving from the ass into Tulsa to the other fucking end of Tulsa, the other end of fucking Chicago or Dallas. So I was conditioned to listen to albums in that way so being in a car things just hit a little bit different and that's why that song hits it is not a good song i like it but i would drive to it it's the same way that like that eve six song is the only eve six song anyone knows hits really well when you're driving not a good song hits really well when you're driving <laughs> we'll have that argument again 
at a later date. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about Eve's Plum. I was like, man, wait, no, Eve's, Eve's Plum had like good songs. Maybe we can do both of those bands in the same episode. That would be hilarious. But I don't know. I, I phone booth is okay. It is an earworm. It is. It was definitely going to be popular at some point in the nineties. I think the sample is sitting here right now. I can't think of what that song sounds like. Like it's so just nothing a, to me. A plane took off in Baltimore and landed down and landed down in Bourbon Street. Do 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 do. It's. I mean, like I seriously couldn't hum it right now. I, w- I was literally just doing it. Which I know, but part. that's not like. That's not striking a chord with me. Like, I'm not hearing the song in my head from you. I think I was just younger when this happened, so I was very aware. I I actually have never seen Cable Guy all the way through. I saw it in the theater, and I don't remember a thing about it. I remember it being, man, he gets really dark sometimes. Yeah, I want to see it again. That's like an album that it seems like, or a movie that it seems like has had a critical re-examining in the last decade or so and but it's i don't know if it's on any streaming or anything and that's about as much effort as i'm willing to put into seeing most movies these days so the the uh, stephen thomas or er, erlwin from all music wrote this about uh phone booth with its loping, unthreatening hip-hop beats and its loot B.B. King sample, which is where the I've been down hearted, baby, comes from. Uh, most listeners, uh, Standing had the appeal of an adult novelty for most listeners. It was something that was out of the ordinary, to be sure, but not something that you would want to investigate much further. Sadly, Primitive Radio God's debut mini-album, Rocket, proves those doubters right. And Erwin criticized the frequency of sampling in the album, stating most of Rocket sounds exactly like somebody messing around with a four-track, more intent on capturing sounds, not songs. And I think that's pretty consistent. I think he was, this album is very focused on capturing a sound, kind of an aesthetic sense. And I think that that checks out because I think O'Connor really wanted to write poignant songs he wanted to do a Joni Mitchell like pay paradise put up a parking lot like thing which was later covered in the 90s which one of his songs sounds tremendously like uh and then he does fucking what is that oh skin turns blue yeah so let's talk about skin turns blue let's talk about skin turns blue because whoo boy i should point out that a man this man is white as fuck yeah very white and just slips the n-word in the song yep the, and it's the, not a it's it, it's it's an anti-racist song it's a, like let's let's be clear it, it he's not like don't cancel don't cancel this guy he's singing about racism being bad but then just slips in the line that n-word you hate is your brother and I'd just like to point out for for any white people who might be out there thinking about writing a song about racism being bad, black man has the same number of syllables as the N-word. Yes. That's your PSA. It does indeed. And I I actually just looked up when the Rodney King riots were because uh, this this band is from Southern California. So I thought "Mm, maybe this is probably what this. No, the Rodney King riots happened after this. So, I mean, not that that was, like, the pinnacle of racial tensions. It was clearly coming to a head and had always been really fucking bad. But 
the song is just out of place, poorly considered. And it's it's this is the one that really sounds like pay paradise and put up our parking lot that cover. Because I don't know who fucking did that cover. I'm I'm bad at this. I will remember later. <laughs> well, so, okay, so here's my, my problematic take on this. I think that a white artist can use that word in a song. You have to be extremely careful. My favorite Mud Honey song is Hate the Police, and he uses that word in the song. He is also, when he says it, singing from the point of view of a racist cop. And he says, kill it inward. And I feel like that's the difference, is that he is, at the time he says that line, he is doing it from the standpoint of, I am, I'm playing a character at this moment, and mm-hmm. I'm saying what that character would say. I don't think that you can get away with just like, I don't think that you can get away with what Chris O'Connor does in this song. Yeah, that's yeah, I just... I, because it just... When I heard that, it was just all I could hear all of it. Like, I totally... It, like, this song is audio wall... Or this album is audio wallpaper, and I was kind of, like, listening to it the first time and doing something else, and I heard that line, and I was like, wait a minute, he didn't just say that, did he? And and actually, I don't know that he says it. I think the backup singer is actually singing He's it. He's part of the backup vocal, though. Okay, but whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter. He wrote the song. Um, he used the word. Yeah, he, he authorized the word's use on the album. And it, it just, like, knocked me out of whatever he was trying to say. <laughs> and I know it was a different time. And, like... Not that fucking long ago. People didn't get canceled, really, in 1991 when it was written. Or 1996 when it was released. But I feel like even then, he should have known better. It, it's just like, it, it's counter to the the point of the song, because I, I don't know. For me, once once I heard it, it was all I could hear. And so seriously, maybe that's seriously just, this is the line, that black man you hate is your brother. Like yeah. that, that, that is the line. I obviously edit it because I'm not a fucking moron. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're not ever going to say that word on this no, podcast. No, absolutely not. And that's, that's the in our 1990s promise. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just... I feel, personally, you don't need to use it. I feel you could be more creative in expressing your opinions and your feelings than reaching for the lowest hanging fruit. And fuck, so fucking strange fruit. Let's talk about that for a fucking second. I, I assume you don't mean the Catherine Wheel strange fruit. That song is about lynching, and it is the the lyrics are strange fruit hanging from the trees, which is describing bodies hanging from trees. It's a Billie Holiday song, and it's oh okay, yeah. That's... And it, it, it fucking ruined her career. I mean, her career was already on the ropes anyway, but that song is amazing and beautiful and, and powerful. And she was just describing this incredibly intense feeling of singing, of seeing the strange fruit hanging from the trees. And you know from the mournful way that she's singing it that those are fucking corpses. You can do so much with language yeah. without reaching for the lowest hanging fruit. In fact, go for the strange fruit. Because that way, you know you're doing something interesting. I'm still going to defend Mud Honey 
that's fine. There, that's the only. That's literally the only example I can think of of a white person saying that in a song, and me not just being like, "Oh boy." And even then, like, I I get that like people are not going to hear that song today the way they heard it in 1989 or 90 or whenever that song was recorded. But it's just I I think that people should try harder. And I'm very focused on lyrics because people don't try hard enough. The, that is the bigger point about this album. No, no, no. It, it, I will, I'm going to argue that this guy tried incredibly fucking hard. It is just not his forte. I don't think that he did. I, I think it, he wanted to say something. And I most of these songs, lyrically, to me, feel like they got one pass. The there's it, it might be women. I think it is. I think it's the first song where he says something about like there, there's I, I don't remember the exact line, but it's something where he rhymes like her song with "It's Like a Gong," and it's just like <laughs> that is the laziest fucking take. Like, yeah, it, it's bad. It's bad lyric writing. It, it's not like. It's a different kind of bad. Than, we're going to keep harping on Oasis's bad lyrics for a little bit. But it, it's... Oasis was... Oasis meant that shit. It just sucks. It, this guy was, like, trying to be... I don't know about profound, but I, I definitely think he thought that he was writing some meaningful shit. Oh, no, he, and instead he's, it's, you like, your a- first high school, you know your first high school rhymed couplets songwriting where it's like, well, I want this line to end with this word. So I have to come up with something that rhymes with that. And I'm not going to consider changing the phrasing of the the first line because I can't think of a good rhyme. <laughs> well, he he's like the worst excess of when I say 90s alternative musician. And that's what this is what I think of. I would disagree that there is anything in excess on this album. No, I mean I think that that's it's it's self indulgent. This album is entirely self indulgent because it, it is excessively so. But he literally spent five years trying to get this failed piece of shit. <laughs> it, piece of shit somebody. is too harsh. I'm I'm not uh, look. I'm saying, but from a broader perspective, other music was happening. He should have changed his sound. He should have tried to do something different. Instead, he staked his entire career. On this one album fucking working. That's nonsense. That is a ludicrous thing to do. Yeah, there are times in music, like, in 1997, you probably could have released an album you wrote in 1992. That that sounded like 1992. Like, there were still grunge albums coming out in 1997. Most of them sucked ass, but they were coming out. I mean, this is just so out of date. And I mean, it just sounds so like I couldn't. And, and you know, it turns out it it wasn't really a 1996 album, even though that's when it came out. But when I first put this on and didn't know it was recorded in 91, I was just like, what is this? Why would you have made this in 1996? My God. And that's a big issue with it. And that song I could I keep comparing it to is called Big Yellow Taxi. It was originally oh, Joni okay. Mitchell, covered by Counting Crows. Oh, God. So eventually, we're going to have to cover or talk about a Counting Crows. Yeah, album. we are. It's um, Particularly the, the one with that song on it. So, because that song was everywhere. I didn't know that they covered that song. Like, That's literally I kinda, the only version of that song most people know. 
I, I only know the Joni Mitchell version. I kind of like Joni Mitchell. I kind of like Joni Mitchell, too, and a lot of people do, too, but then they cover her songs terribly. Man, you thought I was hard on Royston singing Wait Till We Get to Adam Duritz. <laughs> oh, no. Ooh, la, la. So, uh, I, my, my final statement on this album before we rank it, and you can go off if you want to, but this there's just like nothing like at first i thought i hated this album but it's not even enough of anything to hate i mean it's just there it's unsalted vegetables yeah it well except the vegetables are good for you and this is not even that it's this is like unseasoned oatmeal yeah vaguely good for you but like there's a lot worse shit out there but like it, it has no ambition is my feeling on it like but, but it has no ambition yet had all of its ambition like all this ambition foisted on it like i it feel was, like it's uh, is it <sighs> yeah i don't know if the, if i'm if that's the way i should phrase it, it it's like ambitious but slack ass and ambi- like ambitious but not enough to to edit your lyrics ambitious but not enough to write a chorus like it's just yeah, it's 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 someone who really wanted to make some fucking music and thought he was very good at it fighting to get one album out there for five years and it's just so here's the weird thing i listened to some of their later stuff which none of it came out their second album was similar to this one and that they 2000? wrote it and then it didn't get released until 2000 and it's not bad. Like, dude got way better at songwriting. Way better. It's way better at singing. Yeah, it's just... Like, his vocals are probably the worst thing about this album. Because he either is, like, not even audible because he's, like, so timid. Or he sounds like Stan Bush. Like, when he does actually project, it sounds like 80s generic soundtrack rock. Yeah, I mean, he was just... I. It's really weird because he clearly like wanted it really bad, but there's just nothing here that is like that gives you the impression of that. I mean, it's not even like Ed Wood, where like Ed Wood wanted it so bad and he had no talent, but goddamn, his movies are unforgettable. And this is just everything about this is forgettable. Yeah. Like, I will never think about this again after we finish talking about it. I'll probably have phone booth stuck in my head for a while. Because it is an earworm. If you say so. I mean, it is for me, but I it's, also... It's definitely not to me. But yeah, no, it's 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 fine. This, this is just a, a bland piece of bread recorded to mu- recorded for the ages. It's, it's dry white toast. Yeah. All right, then, so, then, then an inexplicable in bomb, like just uh, yeah, yeah. That's the most memorable thing about it for me. That is what I will remember. You know, if we're still doing this podcast three years from now, and I'm like primitive radio gods. What was? That? Oh yeah, the one with the the out of no, the inward out of nowhere, which ironically Randy Orton also did. <laughs> um. Okay, so where do you want to rank this? god pull up the fucking list i don't fucking remember what things are at well i I can't imagine that it's put it under monster the the bottom three is monster manscape and resident alien and i will not put this above manscape i'm i'm sorry this is not a better album than manscape i mean it has a better 
you know, song with Manscaped. No, no. <laughs> anyway, fine. Let's put it under Manscaped and above Resident Alien. Do you think it's better than Resident Alien? I'm. I mean, I don't. But like, well, I'm not gonna fight you on putting it last. Like Resident Resident Alien, I hated. I mean, I have a special place in hell for the next album. So it, it Resident Alien tried some shit. We can put this under Resident Alien. I think it's probably a more memorably and lasting album for people who are of a certain period of the 90s. But I mean, I, I want your I want your actual input knowing that I cannot put this above Monster and and cannot put it above Manscaped. Like do you do you think it's worse than Resident Alien? No. Actually, I don't. You would I, put it above Resident Evil. I, I think it has more crossover, just like interest. I think that the willingness to do something and trying to do something is better than Space Hog showing up and just blandly doing David Bowie into a microphone. Like, it's. This guy isn't copying anyone deliberately, but he is invoking the sounds of other people consistently. Okay, I I can go either side of of Resident Alien. Let's put it above I would, it. It's I fine. would probably put it below, but I'm fine with above too because neither one of those are albums that I like. I I have no stage in like where that yeah. goes. No, I mean it's. Uh, I think I think it's a I think it's a better album than the Resident Alien. It's not. A, it's not clearly a, like a, a fiery banger, but that one song was everywhere. Even though this album didn't chart well, that one song was fucking everywhere phone booth you could not escape phone booth in like 96 96 and 97 it was just i rode a lot of buses as a child and it was just every time i was on a bus phone booth was playing okay so that will make it the new number eight and bump resident alien down to number nine so it'll be next to last so All right, let's uh, take a break and we will be back with the whole. All right, we are back. And we are ready to talk about Hole's debut album, Pretty on the Inside, or are we ready? I'm going to let you go ahead and just say stuff about this album because I have a very short sentence to say. <laughs> okay, <laughs> is your review shit sandwich? No. Okay. Um, so this was Hole's first album, uh, released in 1991, produced by Tim Gordon of Sonic Youth, which explains why... The best songs in this album sound exactly like Sonic Youth songs. It sounds like shit. <laughs> um, so I mostly Some fucking disagree. sucks! Sorry. Um, that's alright. Just maybe back up from the microphone if you're going to yell about it. Um, it's the only time I'm going to yell about it. So, yeah, if... So my, my personal experience with this album was I heard Live Through This first, as did most people. And so then the drummer in my band at the time bought this bought this because we liked live through this. And I was just like, what is this fucking shit? How, how did this band make live through this? 
because somebody else wrote their music. Um, so... Two very prominent people wrote their music. Which is, so not on this album. No. This, this album is very much the product of two things. Courtney Love being a big fan of the L.A. punk scene and their guitarist, Eric Erlinson, being a big fan of Sonic Youth. I've heard other bands that are very influenced by Sonic Youth that don't suck this much fucking ass. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. This So this is your space hog, huh? Just fucking, I hate it so much. I listen, I like Pretty on the Inside, the one song. That's the one song on the song I like. And I listened to Hole because I was pirating fucking music. And Live Through This was the album I had most of. And that was fine. That album is, I would, I long for the day that we talk about that fucking album. Because, yeah, I do too, because I fucking love that album. But still. this piece of just putrefied refuse, it is just... Don't don't record music that sounds like this. Just, Man, you are gonna have a bad day when we get to a Melvin's album. I I probably will, but like this one. Imagine I, this. Okay, Natalie, but... I couldn't listen to this album. I only listened to this album for the first time today because I couldn't fucking do it. I listened to two songs and was like, I am going to do my taxes. I am going to. <laughs> that's all my socks paired. I just couldn't. <laughs> Do it. it! I just couldn't. It was so fucking bad. I, <clears throat> I, I realized I have changed as a person in the years since I first engaged with Hole, because it, this this is impossible to listen to pleasurably. It, no, it's 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 really not. It's sludge rock. It, but like. There's nothing even redeeming about it. I find it. this much more listenable in the Melvins, which I have at least one friend who will fucking hate me if he hears me say that. But like, <laughs> I I have some fondness for Sludge Rock of the '90s. We, we'll get to Star Pimp eventually, and how much I love Star Pimp. Um, I I I will not say I liked this album a lot. I liked a few. I think "Baby Doll" is a legitimately great song. I think "Sassy" is a legitimately really good song. I think "Mrs. Jones" is really good. The song is too fucking long. It's five minutes long, and it's too fucking. Well, long. yeah, it, it, that that almost goes without saying at this point with '90s albums is that they're all, everything is too long. I don't think "Baby Doll" is too long. "Baby Doll" is is great. Um, "Baby Doll" also sounds a lot like '89, '90 Sonic Youth. Um, what I think is almost more interesting than the music going back and listening to this is just how, I mean, cause this is when Riot Girl was like kicking off, but that was happening in Seattle and Oregon. And this was out of Los Angeles. And th this is so, so much darker and like whole tends to get kind of lumped into Riot Girl mm -hmm. and it has never been more stark to me that they were not part of that than than listening to this album now. Um, like Bikini Kill and, and Bratmobile, like that shit is all about like empowerment and let's talk about feminism and let's talk about women, you know, being able to be autonomous beings. And this album just kicks off with teenage horror, and the rest of it is a 
fucking about it just it gets it, into a, a heroin a, overdose and you just die while listening to it i mean it, it's just it's just courtney love talking about all the people she fucking hates well, i feel like it's talking about courtney love hating herself and i don't, even, I don't even know it's a fucking good sister bad sister that's just, so courtney love learned how to like make her voice do something at least interesting after this because I will give her this. She has a good growl and she's one of the 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 women in in music who have one of those like just definitive growly voices that you're just like, mm, yes, the fucking passion. And that that's that really shows on Pretty on the Inside and Teenage, Teenage Horror. Horror. But like everything else, it's like there are two of these songs like fucking Barry and Garbage Man. Those songs should like have different fucking titles. Because I feel Barry probably should have been called called Garbage Man based on the fucking lyrics. But like just <clears throat> I don't remember which song it is. It might be Starbelly. There's one song that it's like, you know, the other day when you were listening to the new Sparks album and I yelled from the other room that song needs a B. That song is nothing with samples. That's what I felt about whichever song it is on here. I, whether it's Starbelly or there's one song that it's just like a riff that's like a wah pedal riff and it's just like that's the whole song. Yeah. And it and it feels like it's about nine minutes long. And that yeah, Star one, Belly feels like it's nine minutes long, but it's a minute forty six. Okay, so it's not Star Belly then. It's this one is definitely longer than than a minute. Uh, Mrs. Jones is five twenty five minutes. It's not Mrs. Seconds, Jones because I, I like that song. <sighs> but it's one of the last like three songs on the album. Um. Anyway, so like it's the longest thirty eight fucking minutes of my goddamn life. <laughs> yeah, it seems like. This album definitely feels longer than 30 minutes, but it's just like fucking bludgeoning for a lot of it. And, I, and I'm not I'm not saying anyone has to have, like your music has to be pretty. That, that's not a that's not a thing that I require. Um, interesting is is something that I require. And Teenage Horror is interesting. Pretty on the inside is interesting. That was it. That and was Baby it. Doll and Sassy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can you can say those are interesting. I don't. <laughs> I think I think this is a travesty of an album. They should have shouldn't have had a career. Courtney Love shouldn't have been a thing, and I don't know how the fuck that happened. She just met the right people at the right cocaine parties. Yeah, I mean, like that, that, that is that's, like I, <sighs> I I disagree that she like th- this album in retrospect makes it sound like she was going to be like something huge at least in terms of you know like she could be the next Kim Gordon. But the difference is Jim Gordon was stable and not a heroin addict. <laughs> and or she might have been, I don't know. But if she was a heroin addict, she managed to keep her shit together. She, she wasn't um, to this day when she was still pretty awesome. Like shredded baby doll dresses and falling well, down on stage. Yeah, not even that. Like I mean just I'm not that's not even a dismissal. I'm just saying that like you take one look at Courtney Love and be like, mm, yeah, there's something going on there. Yeah, if you can, if it's still out there, there's a record, a soundboard recording that somebody put out like on YouTube a few years ago of whole playing uh, Celebrity Skin, and they isolated Courtney Love's guitar track. <laughs> she's not playing. I mean, it's literally just like, just like, yeah, like she's holding her hand over the strings and just like wailing on the string. She's not playing chords, and it's like the most depressing shit I've ever heard. Just yeah. like in terms of somebody who had promise, and that song is very like prominent with the way that the guitar is played. Like that is that is 
well, yeah, that's the beginning of the song where it's a guitar part and vocals and there are no other instruments. But there was, you know, another guitarist who was actually playing. But she didn't write that song. Pretended to bang on her guitar. And yeah, I mean, it just sucks because. There's nothing wrong with being a chaotic musician. And a lot of artists are, you know, speaking from a place of pain and suffering that we wish they weren't like we wish they didn't have to go through that and Courtney Love clearly had a lot of shit going on for a long time because that was just this whole aspect of being a California musician that you just had to be fucked up and in pain because like I think this ties into the primitive radio gods to some extent like that guy was just fucked up on his one album and just kept fucking doing it and Hole, on the other hand, is Cordy Love was just, like, fucked up in general and telling you about it in a way that was very visceral. You can feel her anger and her passion and her feelings in these songs. It's just not good. It's, <laughs> I mean, putting this next to, you know, like, Nirvana is this all-time, or Kurt Cobain is held up as this all-time, like, drugged out rock musician but god damn he never saying anything like this shit no and, <laughs> and i respect the hell out of it for that like it's it's ugly as shit but it's like really in a really important way i think i mean yeah it's it's important i, I just it's i haven't really listened to this album all the way through until now and i couldn't because i was just like i just being confronted by the fact that you want to enjoy things and knowing that you probably need to be more objective than that is a real fucking maelstrom in your brain when it comes to, like, I need to be more objective, but I fucking can't. And this was one of the things where I heard it. I was like, I just can't. I just don't have a place in my life for music this angry and broken anymore. And I did once, because I know I listened to this album before now. But it didn't hit me the way that it hits now. And now it's just like, ugh, I feel fucking bad for her. And this album is like watching live leak videos. Yeah, it really is. And it's uncomfortable and painful and ugly and like you don't want to be there for it. And th- I think that was like, I just couldn't deal with it. I was just like, I'm good, Courtney Love. I am just good. I don't need to hear it. I don't need to live through it. I'm glad you lived through this because... Yeah, somehow, God, I don't... Listening to this, it's like, I can't fucking imagine how she survived. I, that, that is a perpetual question people ask to this day. Yeah, well, to um, this day, I have no idea how she is still alive. But. Spite. And celebrity clinics. But mostly spite. It's... I wanted to be, I wanted to come into this just like, I think this album put me in a mood. It was just like, I listened to it again before I came home. And I was like, oh, God damn it. And it just puts you in, like, a bad place. Yeah. Oh, no, it it definitely does. Like, it's one of those albums where you finish it and you're just like, God damn, man. Uh, I wouldn't, I was like, I wouldn't mind dying. I'm not going to make it happen. But, like, if I just died right now, then good. Well, it was just, it's it's a fucked up album. And it's, it's, maybe that should be. You know, considered in its ranking and its goodness. That, like, it is a very much an emotional event. But I don't have a... I don't have time for poorly considered emotional events. 
I don't think this is poorly considered. I think this is the best she ever did that shit. Not not musically, because like I'm defending it because you're hating on it so much, but like. I don't want to listen to most of this album. I mean, I found it, I found it objective, objective, objectively unlistenable. And yeah, and and I get that. I don't think that's like extreme, but I think it's. I would be a pitchfork douchebag and be like, no. I, uh, speaking of, I should probably look at what this fucking got rated. I bet it has good ratings most places. I'm not getting the info. <laughs> oh, there it is. There it is. Fuck me. Three point, uh, three and a half stars from all music. Yeah, seven out of ten from Pop Matters. Rolling Stones gave it three, three, uh, three and a half stars. Select gave it four, uh, four out of five. The Stranger gave it a four star review. Just like fucking, am I broken? Is that why I don't like it? Like you may not be broken enough. I'm pretty broken. I just. Not in this way. Yeah, so I think we can move on to trying to rank this because I think it's going to be a little bit of a fight. Um, I mean, based I've, on the new, you know, the person who suggests it gets the first call. So there's so I have I'm of two minds. One of those minds that knows that we will be here all night, and and I, I'm not going to try it. Wants to put this at number three. <laughs> um, no. I know that that won't fly, so I'm not going to suggest that. I'm going to tentatively suggest... Oh. Mm, is it worse or better than Manscaped? Better. Is it worse or better than Monster? I, I, think, it's, I think it's better. I don't think it is. Um... I can at least listen to what's the frequency can have. Yeah. So, it, really my sticking point is, this is a weird one, because I like Reachin' a new refutation of time and space more, but goddamn, I would pick Reachin' a hundred times out of a hundred as to which one I want to listen to. So it's like a really hard, like, I find, I'm kind of with you, I find most of this album, like, extremely unpleasant and kind of unlistenable because it is but i also think it's like kind of great um i see because I, of that i can't i see, i just can't with that i i understand where it's coming from and it's like this like oh you know appraising art not your personal taste it's like blah blah, blah. yeah i mean it, but it's, like i also think that at some point when you're making music that you want people to actually buy some of it has to be fucking listenable. I don't think that they cared that much. Um, it's just, I, I think I just so have I a, can live with it being between Monster and Manscape because I get that it's a really fucking hard album to listen to. I, if it were up to me, I don't know where I would put. It. Like I'm glad that it, I'm not having to make this list by myself because. Well, if I was making this about myself, be at the fucking bottom. I, I know, I know. Because it's just not, and I know. But it's it it, it you, we can't like. It's, I know. Uh, I saw the wankery reviews that this album got. It's 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 not. I mean, you could write a wanky review of this, but it, it's. I mean, there are songs I straight up hate on this album. I mean, too. I'm trying to be objective by not saying fighting for it to be the worst <laughs> fucking album of the '90s. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. I, 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 I'm being generous between Monster and Manscaped because I think it was overrated. Yeah, I. so, I mean, it's just for me, like, having hated it so much and then coming back to it and being like, oh, shit, I was totally wrong about this album. Like, I get it now. Um, I don't think I'm going to have that epiphany. I think I'm going to hate the way it sounds and not be able to listen to half the songs. Like, if I'm skipping through a minute 46 song trying to find a part that's listenable, something's fucking wrong. And I just am not here for this emotional experience. I, I appreciate it. I understand its relevance. I understand why people would be very up in their feelings about it. I just don't think there's a place for music like this anymore. I just don't think there is. Yeah, I... I strongly disagree with that but i again thinking to myself if i were gonna sit down and put on an album would i put on monster or would i put on pretty on the inside most of the time i would probably put on monster mm-hmm. so like I, even though i think that monster is an inferior album i would choose to listen to it more often because there are songs that are pleasurable there is nothing pleasurable on pretty on the inside even though i really like three of the songs yeah, and and, and the four. I mean, teenage horror grew on me more every time I listened to it. Like I, I didn't like that one at first, and by the time I listened to it for like the fourth or fifth time, the, today, the only I song really that charted was in the UK indie charts, and it was teenage horror. Didn't yeah. even chart in America, which is weird because I think Baby Doll is like by far the best song on the it, album. Th- that song is not good. I don't know why you think that song is good, but like because it sounds like Silent Youth. <laughs> and this, this album was. Only charted on the UK charts at 59. Well, I don't give a fuck about charts. Like, it, I know, but we talk about it. We talk about it. Well, yeah, like, we talk about it, but it's not an excuse to not. No, what I'm saying is like this album was just like people were like, mm, you did that. OK, cool. You're angry. We're good. Live through this is good, though. This is good. This is much better. Oh, yeah. You got people writing your music for you now. Yeah, please. I think live through this is better, too. But it's also like I'm a fucking sellout for thinking that. Are you? Because it's objectively better. It's. I mean, I'm I'm already going to catch heat now because like this is a definitive like feminist album. No, it's not at all. No, it's not. It's definitely like that's Bikini Kill. Like, yeah, like I much would. Courtney Love couldn't have given a fuck less about feminism. I would listen to a million Riot Girl albums over this every single. Well, yeah, I would too. I think that like anything, and I think they're more effective emotionally. And I think, you know, most Bratmobile blows this out of the okay, water. Okay, so I think my problem is that grunge is the problem. I think I don't like grunge. I think I'm. I think now in my 32nd year, I can say I don't like grunge. I, I, I was too young for it. I was not in a dispossessed teenage state for grunge. And if you're not in a dispossessed teenage state for grunge and aren't particularly motivated to be associated with people who are constantly high and wearing flannel, you don't really want to be involved in the scene at all. And so I think that's it. I think I was too square and too motivated by maybe doing something besides drug-inducing my pain away that I just couldn't get the fuck with grunge. And I think that's the problem with this. I think I'm going to have this problem with every grunge album we do. And most of them are a lot worse than those albums. Yeah. So, fun times for me. I am just not... I, I am the parent in a button-up shirt going, you just need to get a job. Your nihilism's overrated. 
just like fucking get over yourselves like fucking people my parents age and my age they're older than you i know but i i don't love grunge i think it's i think most grunge has aged horribly it's the most adolescent music i have ever fucking heard i I still we're we're gonna fight about nirvana and we're probably not gonna fight about any of the rest of it i mean except for this album so here's here's me trying to be objective as possible i'm gonna roll the fuck over on nirvana because i don't give a shit i'm never gonna suggest a nirvana album it's all gonna be you and it's gonna be fun well, there's only really, I don't remember when Bleach came out, if that was 89 or 90, but we, we might only really have to talk about two of them. So. Who's to say? But th- that's the thing is like, I, I'm, I am trying to be objective with this stuff. I am just saying it now. I am definitively not here for grunge and I am going to be the person at Pitchfork you want to murder. Well, so all that said, I guess we're going to settle on this being the new number seven. Um, So below Monster and above Manscaped. Um, And that's, like I said, I can live with that um, because of the intense unlistenability of the majority of this album. But it's an unlistenability that I'm like... That there are going to be days that I put this album on and just like get lost in the fucking horror of it uh, because I, I I do want that out of music sometimes not very often but like I'm glad that I will have this alongside my like supply of power electronics albums that I that I listen to when I'm in that mood um and I I appreciate I, I'm 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 uh, you know glad you have that uh when when I when I get in those states, I listen to the Tiger Lilies. So right, which I find unlistenable for the most part. So so I, <gasps> I get you. I just realized we could do Tiger Lilies albums for the show. Yeah. Holy shit! Unfortunately, life is gorgeous. Everything's better now, podcast listeners. <sighs> you want to talk about some heroin and cocaine? Well. If if we're gonna get into hurting each other with albums, <laughs> I, I feel like I can win that battle. So. Physical pain is is what I can bring. We will probably never rate a Sutcliffe Yugend album. That's fair. Okay, so let's let's wrap up this incredibly contentious and angry edition of the podcast. Much like this, much like this fucking album. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. So we are up to a, a, the top ten alternative albums of the nineties now. Um. Number one is Liberation by The Divine Comedy. Number two is The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number three, Eight Arms to Hold You by Veruca Salt. Number four, What's the Story? Morning Glory by, Morning Glory by Oasis. Number five, Reach in a New Refutation of Time and Space by Digital Planets. Number six is Still Monster by R.E.M. At number seven, Pretty on the Inside by Hole. Number eight is Manscaped. Number nine is... What did we, we decided that number nine was Primitive Radio Gods, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, Rocket by Primitive Radio Gods, and number ten is Resident Alien by Space Hard. So that won't last for long, the top ten, but hey, we we made it to ten. Yep. Gonna, do you have your album for next week? Yes. Uh, next week I'm bringing What to Do About Them by Swirlies, because we need to get something on this list that is shoegaze adjacent at least if not <laughs> completely shoegaze and i am bringing hold on it's long 
Gratuitous Sax and Senseless Violins by Sparks. I knew that I knew that it would be a Sparks album next week. I have a whole lot to say. Oh, hey, I don't hate Sparks, so. You'll hate this, though. I don't know. I've never heard anything by Sparks that I... You've not heard any Sparks 90s albums. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing I've ever heard by Sparks has been bad, so... Uh, So, just to leave you you guessing, imagine if Sparks decided they're the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah. Sounds sounds fine. (laughs) But in the worst way. We shall see.